nights listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Speaking, you're listening to episode 61 of Love That Album podcast. Uh, thank you so very much for downloading or streaming or however it is that you're choosing to listen to this. And uh, for this episode 61, I have invited one of my favourite Canadians. I have a lot of favourite Canadians, but this is one of my favourite Canadians. <laughs> the Knife Licker himself, the host of the newly formed Feed My Ears podcast, Mr. John Ross. Good evening, John. Hey. Or should hey, I say good that? morning, John? It's it's uh, good. Yeah, well, evening for me. I live, you know, night shift hours. So uh, <laughs> uh, after this is done recording, I'll be going to bed for the day. But okay. yeah, morning for most Canadians. Yes, right. Well, yeah, it's it's uh, seven p.m. Sunday evening here. My weekend is over. I wish I was on your time because it meant I would have another day before having to go back and face some interesting times at work i think so um but anyway we're in a long weekend here too oh really what was the occasion yeah. uh geez victoria day i think oh, you okay. guys don't have that you're, no, no, you're we don't. the queen right <laughs> uh yeah well actually in about uh two weeks i think we've got uh, the queen's birthday holiday but this, the strange thing is one it's not her birthday and two different, yeah. different parts of the country celebrate the queen's birthday at uh different times of the year so yeah, I could be wrong. We call it May 2-4 because it usually falls around this date. So if it's not the exact, I don't know what it is. It's a long weekend for us, though. Oh, right. Well, anyway, so, you're you're enjoying a day off, and that's always going to be Victoria Day. Thing. Yeah, Victoria, Victoria Day. day. Huh. Right. We, she was born May 24th. So ah. the weekend closest to her birthday, we get the Monday off. You know, every time I think about Queen Victoria, the, the picture I get in my head is, I, I, did you ever watch any of the Blackadder shows? No, I, I you know I've seen them, you know, and I see Rowan Atkinson. Like I guess he plays different members of the family throughout time. Different I'm descendants guessing. of Black. Adder, different yeah. descendants, yeah. See, I've seen like we we have it, we have all that programming here too. Sure. So I've seen it my whole life, but I've never actually watched it. Though, right? You know, I well, probably find it funny. There was there was one. Uh, well, not an episode of a regular series. It's like a one-off special uh, called A Blackadder's Christmas Carol. And it was basically Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol told <laughs> sort of in reverse where um, uh, you know, Ebenezer Blackadder was the kindest, nicest man in all England. And he's visited by the ghost of Christmas past and turns him into an utter bastard. And it's very, very funny. But um, <laughs> uh, Queen Victoria is part of that. And I think of I think of uh, Victoria, and I, I, that's the image I get from the Blackadder's Christmas Carol. Well worth your while checking out. Very, very funny stuff indeed. But um, 
We're not here to talk about television shows as intense. We're not here to talk about Rowan Atkinson. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, special. I wonder if he's planning on doing like what people like Adrian Edmondson and Steve Martin have been doing in sort of you know finding a new career, going from comedy to becoming a musician. Because you know Steve Martin's been putting out some really fine bluegrass albums over the last few years, and um, if you've seen the posts on Facebook, love that album page. I'd been recently to see uh, Adrian Edmondson, you know, ex of the Young Ones and Bottom and other great English comedy shows of the early 80s. Uh, he's playing with his band, The Bad Shepherds, and they basically take 1970s punk songs and play them in a Gaelic, folksy sort of style. But, um, you know, far from it being a novelty, which it sounds the way I describe it, our, our good friend uh, Eric Peterson, a.k.a. Eric Reanimator, his definition of punk is all about the energy that the song exudes. And in Adrian Edmondson's hands and the, the Bad Shepherd's hands, these songs are still punk. Um, never mind that they're not playing with uh, electric guitars and drum kits. Never mind that you know they're playing with uh, the um, not the bagpipes. It's called the Ualian pipes, I think, and uh, double mandolin. He has a double mandolin, so like Jimmy Page has a double guitar, and uh, a guy who's just sort of like banging on a on a crate for percussion it still sounded very punk it, it was fantastic but uh, anyway so these comedians have found a new life in playing uh music so you know maybe there's hope for rowan atkinson you never know two things first Both. i have a mental image of rowan atkinson in the richard thompson get up you know with like the, the beret and the beard and stuff <laughs> hopping out on stage with a guitar uh but kind of doing a johnny be good kind of you know stutter step you know uh and uh, second, if I can remember what I would, <laughs> the tangent. Oh well, it obviously wasn't important. Oh, never mind. <laughs> it's if, gone. If, if you remember <laughs> it, feel free to interject. Um, so it's, it, but it's funny that you mentioned Richard Thompson. Se Richard Thompson. Segway, segway, segway. We're here to talk about an album that I'm surprised it's taken us 61 shows to get to. Uh, Richard and Linda Thompson's Shoot Out the Lights from 1982. I hope I got that right. I should know. It's one of my most beloved albums, so I hopefully have the uh, the year of release correct. Uh, 82. Recorded in 81. Correct. Very good. Very good. Whew. As I said, wiping my forebrow. Uh, there's a lot of history behind this album, and we'll be going through some of that. Uh, now, we were going to be doing two albums this program. We're also going to be talking about a uh, Texan troubadour called Robert Ellis. I think he's, this is his third album called The Lights from the Chemical Plant. And that was an album that was suggested by the man who was going to be uh, a third member of uh, this trio for the uh, episode, Mr. Davey McLemore, uh, who, um, if you follow the uh, Love That Album Facebook page or the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema or the Feed My Ears page, uh, Davy has made many contributions of really interesting and terrific singer-songwriters or bands that he digs. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Davy's having some uh, uh, internet issues at the moment, so he can't join us. So I've gone and promised him that we'd save the Robert Ellis uh, discussion for another program later on. So we're just going to be doing the one album, uh, Shoot Out the Lights, by Richard and Linda Thompson. But I think we're going to have a rather long discussion on this one album. There's plenty to say. But uh, hope you're doing well, Dave, and uh, uh, we look forward to having you on the show very, very soon. And um, also, originally I'd said to uh, Eric Peterson, Eric Reanimator, for his album I love segment, 
uh, I said, look, you know, we got you know, these two albums, Lights from the Chemical Plant and Shoot Out the Lights. Maybe for your album, My Love segment, you can come up with another album that's got the, the word lights in the title. It's a fairly dubious sort of connection, but, you know, Silver and Gold is full of dubious connections. Why can't love that album? So he's come up with, uh, for his album, My Love segment, coming up a little later on, uh, a, a an EP, a six-track EP from Swedish band The Helicopters, who I Oh, sweet. Uh, they were they were in uh, Australia quite a few times. Um, they're awesome. They're, well, basically, uh, the, he's, he's talking about their uh, EP called Strikes Like Lightning. And, yeah, the, it does sound absolutely fantastic from uh, 2005. So stay tuned. And, and really, I mean, everything that Eric has gone and spoken about from Swedish bands on the show has been absolutely spot on the money. You know, the, Sweden's uh, awesome, man. They can do no, like... They do the best pop. They do the best um, stoner rock. They do yep. like anything I've I've listened to from them. I've like they do great death metal. Yep. <laughs> like, uh, yes, big Swedish music fan here. Fantastic. Well, as as is Eric, and and I'm certainly uh, coming around to uh, that neck of the woods for sure. So I might be relying Check on you graveyard. guys. Some... Graveyard. Which is not a metal band, believe it or not. Well, from that name, you had me worried <laughs> there for a second. From thing Sweden. Is, yeah, right. no, they, I can't believe a Swedish band named Graveyard is not a metal band. But they're not. <laughs> they're like a rock band, a stoner rock band, I guess, okay. but very Zeppelin y, you know, that type of I can dig rock. That. I can dig Yeah. It. They're really good. Okay. Um, I remember the second thing. Okay, go <laughs> I can't go believe for it. I forgot. Interject, please, yes. Um, when you were saying about the punk, the attitude, the punk yes. is attitude. Um, it's been going around, you know, um, uh, that uh, Hannah Montana, what's her name, uh, Miley Cyrus, oh, yeah. is uh, is punk because of her new album. Right. And uh, even though it's still uh, not a punk, you know, it's a pop album um, from an ex-Disney star, her attitude and her candy, candidness about, you know, her, about her at her image and, you know, grinding up in concerts and throwing up the finger some people are saying she's co-opting punkish attitudes like um uh canadian girl skater boy uh you know a pop princess pretending to be a punk but other people are saying no 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 she's generally doing punk i don't know an answer but uh i'm wondering what eric would think about that you know someone who's the antithesis of the original image of punk, but she's exuding this attitude where, you know, she's going against the system and doing her own thing. Cause I think she kind of is, I'm not like a particularly fan of her music or anything, uh-huh. but, uh, you know, that that's been bandied around a lot. I've seen the punkness of Miley Cyrus. And, uh, well, I'm sure what... no doubt Eric will be listening and, uh, he will, <laughs> I know he will be, <laughs> he, he will be putting forward some thoughts. Um, uh, maybe, maybe we can save that for our next shooting the shit uh discussion hey eric what are your thoughts is miley cyrus a punk Uh, well i just think i'm just more the interest of a pop person like she's not crafting music that is insidious or uh anarchy causing any way right straight up ballad still Mm. but it does the attitude make her punk you know the rebellionist of rebelling against that image Mm. interesting i don't know um, I'm not even going to attempt to answer that one, I'll, <laughs> but, I'll, I'll, but I will certainly uh, be interested to hear what uh, what Eric has to say. 
More punk than Britney. Mm. <laughs> more more punk than um, um, the, the Wiggles. Anyway, anyway, okay, what we'll do now, <laughs> I wish I hadn't said that. Uh, okay, so we, we're uh, going to go uh, have a quick break, and then when we come back, uh, the two of us are going to discuss Rich and Linda Thompson's Shoot Out the Lights. We'll be back shortly. When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions, and Reese Witherspoon? Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s drive-in porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn-off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds piss you off? Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think that Sid Charisse is a guy and that Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast. Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. Hey all you podcast listeners, here's an update. See here. We know some of that bad brown acid has been going around, but we've got an alternative. See here. Have these headphones here. Throw them on. See here. Movies for your mind. See here. See here podcast. We discuss music related films once a month. Find us on iTunes or at seehear, that's S-E-E-H-E-A-R, dot podbean, dot com. Just relax, listen, and flow downstream. See here. over there in Toronto. Well, actually, I keep asking this, but your post the other day said, like, you know, I'm Toronto, I'm in you. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm about two hours away from Toronto. Uh, two and a half hours away from Toronto. Okay. All right, so you're not really. Okay, so John, two hours away from Toronto. <laughs> I'm in between Toronto and Detroit. Oh, okay. On Fair the enough. Canada side. Uh, so equ- equidistant? About... Oh, well, okay. So you can go you know, to the Motown Museum when you so fancy. 
I guess I've only been to Detroit maybe twice in my life, once or twice. Been twice. Toronto lots of times. Well, that's, that's twice more than I've been. Yeah. Well, anyway, missing not, especially in these days. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, So I'm sure our great music scene is going to rise out of there in ten years or so because of all the depressed economic. It's a third world country in there, right? Yeah, yeah, Just, yeah, yeah. It's like it looks like bombed out. Then that usually means cheap rent, artists flock, a scene develops ten years. That's what happened in Seattle. That's what happened in Montreal. Right. So uh, hard times. So, hard times bring bright art. So listen to the Motown, the new Motown sound in 2030 or something. <laughs> All right, let's um, let's talk some Thompson. Speaking about hard times, this is uh, uh, lyrically, in some respects, a very very hard album to listen to. Uh, now, this is not the first time you and I have discussed Richard Thompson on uh, the program, John. Uh, was it maybe 12 months ago? We started off the Thompson account on this program discussing what was then his new album, Electric, and in some ways it might have been an unusual choice. You would have thought, well, you know, go through something classic from his archive, but I thought it was absolutely a perfect place to start, A, because it, well, it was a great album, but also because, uh, you know, I, I guess a lot of his stuff is revered in, uh, in, in music circles and I guess like Bob Dylan, you, know, you sort of think, oh, you know, if, if we fuck this up, you're going to get people say, oh, you made that mistake, that's not correct, what do you know anyway? But um, I'm now at the stage where I don't care. Uh, but, you know, we say what we say, and hopefully people will dig. Um, so... Uh, and that was my first exposure to him, it should be said. I, I had really never heard anything by him before Electric, so it's weird coming into a guy's career 40 years into it and discussing it with someone a big fan uh, well look you know, that's, I'm, I'm glad that you know, we get these two different uh, perspectives here uh, so before we get into talking about the album itself there's a bit of a history behind this um, and for those of you who haven't heard the show where we discussed Electric or are not familiar with the work of Richard Thompson let's just put a few things in perspective perspective um, I mean, basically, the way how his songwriting works, and depending how far you want to dig, his songs, you know, they can either be multi-layered or he can just tell a story that you can dig on the surface. And uh, I think I might have mentioned on the last show that uh, two of the first songs that I ever heard of his were Al Bowley's In Heaven and uh, 1952 Vincent Black Lightning. And he tells, yeah. he tells songs so cinematically, you can just see it happening. Um, He's, uh, he also does you know, a really like a nice line in Twisted Sarcasm. So you got like a very recent song called Mr. Stupid, um, another song called Crawl Back Under My Stone, and another track called Put It There. And, and like he's always taking the perspective of someone very, very sarcastic. And uh, he, he likes that. He sings in a way that we often really would like uh, to say things to certain people who piss us off. Um, but then again, he also goes and he's written some of the most absolutely gorgeous love songs ever. Um, a track called A Heart Needs a Home and a song called Dimming of the Day, which I know a lot of people say uh, have actually um, uh, religious references. He's uh, he converted to um, Sufism, which we'll come to in a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, that... Um, I guess you know you, you can take it on the surface as being a love song, 
but it's also, I guess, something reverential to you know the deity of your choice. Or you know, so um, that's something that meant a lot to him. Uh, so basically, uh, going further back, you know, as well, Thompson had been an integral part of the first three or four years, I guess, of uh, the band Fairport Convention. He's also done a lot of session work. It's his guitar solo that you hear on Crowded House's uh, song Sister Madly. And he also uh, went and wrote a song with Tim Finn called Persuasion. Um, there's a beautiful version of uh, Richard singing with his song Teddy, singing that song, and it's absolutely beautiful. Search it out if you haven't heard it. Uh, but um, yeah, over the years, He's uh, he performed with quite a large number of people, either in session work or he's had a ver- quite a big variety of people play on his albums. But he's never really strayed too far from the Fairport Convention people. And actually, on this album, uh, Shoot Out the Lights, that we're going to discuss, I think apart from uh, the bass player, and actually he's really like a multi-instrumentalist, a guy called Pete Zorn, uh, every member of the band on this album, uh, of the main band is uh, uh, Fairport Convention guys, so um, he's, he's never really strayed terribly far from that. And I think every year there's the uh, big Fairport Convention Festival. Might still be going to this day called the Cropperty Festival, and I, I don't know if Richard takes part every year, but he's certainly taken part on some years. So it's sort of like a you know, the high school class of you know, '68. He's never really quite left. Um, Pete Zorn, is any relation to John Zorn? You know what, that's what I was wondering. I actually haven't looked that up, but... Um, I'm looking it up right now, I'm not oh. seeing that. But, you know, it's a multi-instrumentalist. I'm like, wait, am I thinking of... No, no, John Zorn's a guy. Yeah. yeah. No, no, okay. no, no, John, no relation doesn't look like... No, well, I'd have been... Uh, that, that would have been really, really interesting. I've only sort of become a John Zorn fan in the last 12 months, thanks to uh, Ghetto Tim. He, uh, yeah, he, he put me onto his stuff. And, He's totally uh, a ghetto tib kind of guy. I'm not a huge John Zorn fan, but I I'm a, I can appreciate yep him, but it's not my thing. It's like uh, I understand it's, it's certainly like not it's like jazz, you know, like ass like free form jazz or something. It's not my I can appreciate right. what you're doing, but it's not pretty much what I want to listen to look you know what the thing is he's done so much stuff he's so diverse you know he's he's one of those guys who i've I've discovered like even over the last 12 months and i wouldn't say like i've gone out and bought you know heaps and heaps of albums but i've bought about four or five and from what i've heard out of his material he's the sort of guy who if you say i don't like this side of john sauna say okay well we'll provide you something what will give you something else you know and like I've by no means heard all of his stuff but yeah well like there there was one band I think that he that he put together was uh, Naked City and that's Uh, I've heard Naked City yeah wild wild stuff I think in fact I think I heard that music uh, many many years ago when it was part of the Michael Haneke film Funny Games the original yeah take and that just that music just scared the shit out of me I can't listen to this I can't listen to and really to be honest with you that's a part of John Zorn which I can't handle but he works a lot with Mike Patton too. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had heard that. Yeah, um, but he also had um, uh, he put together a band uh, called uh, the Bar Kochba uh, Sextet. And good um, pronunciation. Uh, well, thank you. It's it's well, it is it is of Judaic origin, and considering that I am of the tribe, I, I guess I can I can cope with that. Um, so, but yeah, that, he he put together his own record label called Sadik Records, and a lot of his music does. Uh, pursue Jewish themes 
and so naturally I'm sort of like drawn and interested in what he does and it, it just I find that really really wonderful stuff and then he goes and does uh, he, he's a big movie buff guy I mean he, he knows he's a lot of stuff about films I'd love to see one of the film podcasts track him down and talk to him he's gone and written soundtracks but he knows his film history uh, so a lot of his music is, is dictated by his knowledge and love of film as well so he's really all over the place and sometimes he just works as a composer I think like a, a couple of albums back he wrote all the music for what was then the latest Pat Metheny album he's nowhere to be heard on the album he doesn't play but um, he composed all of music so he's a great composer and a multi-talented guy and I just missed oh, yeah. him he, he came to Australia a couple of months ago but only played Adelaide and I was going to go to Adelaide with my son Max to see him and then when I did the arithmetic and worked out how much it was going to cost just for 24 hours I thought mm, maybe not yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I tie a kick. But anyway, so Pete Zorn is not related to John Zorn. <laughs> I love doing this podcast. We, we go down so many different rabbit holes. Um, so let's still go back uh, on a little bit of the history uh, behind uh, the album it said. Um, there's, uh, there's a couple of great books that I read a long time ago about Thompson. One's called Strange Affair that was written by a guy called Patrick... Oh, I can't remember. What's the name? Uh, Patrick Humphreys. That's right, Patrick Humphreys. And there's another book that was put together just by you know, a guy. He wasn't like a writer. He wasn't a professional writer. It was a guy called Dave Anderson, but he was obsessed with the music of Richard Thompson. And he went and wrote this book called The Great Valerio. And he never published it for sale. He just put it on the internet and said, if you're interested in what I have to say about Richard Thompson... Voila, here it is. I've published it. You can save it, print it, do whatever you want. I'm not charging for it. And he even sent a copy to Richard, who liked what he had to say, and said, right, call me up, and I'll clarify a few points that you didn't quite get right. So in his book, The Great Valerio, he said that there were a bunch of events surrounding this album that possibly influenced how Richard composed for it. One there was the death of Sandy Denny, who was the original lead singer. Actually, no, not, I don't think the original lead singer. There was someone before her, but the most famous of the early singers of uh, Fairport Convention, Sandy Denny, and Richard continued to work with her and write for her for a while. Two, uh, the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. And three, meeting a tour promoter named Nancy Covey, with whom Richard would eventually... Uh, get together with and Linda for. So back in 1981, uh, Linda was pregnant and Richard did this brief solo tour of America that was promoted by Covey. Uh, and this was before the final release of Shoot Out the Lights when Richard eventually told Linda that he was leaving her and she was obviously and justifiably upset uh, by this big surprise. Um, and you know, they went and but, you know, really to I found it amazing to find out that, in fact, they had a tour to promote Shoot Out the Lights of America, and Linda decided, nope, I'm going to stay with the tour. We've been booked to do this. We're going to continue on, and doesn't matter that my husband is a philandering pig. Uh, and the stories are infamous of live performances where she would be hitting him or tripping him up or doing all these yeah. sorts of things. So professional to go on with the tour, but... Um, that was, she wasn't going to let that get in the way of um, her, her uh, uh, being indignant. And once again, justifiably so. Um, 
we said before, uh, the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. So, um, Richard in the mid-70s, I think 75, 76, he became um, a, dev a devout practitioner of the uh, Sufi branch of Islam. Uh, oh and, yeah, okay. I was and, wondering what the connection was. Right. So the you know the Russian invasion of Afghanistan caused Thompson to you know some level of concern. Obviously, I bet. Where, where you know <laughs> where uh, where he was in the world and where Islam stood in in uh, the world's perception. Uh, so uh, and actually we'll come to a slide of it. Shoot out the lights is a song written in reaction to that and is in fact not about his marriage um, which is a popular misconception there's a, a misconception that the album is about the deteriorating uh, status of his marriage and in fact uh, doing a bit of reading up in fact that's not so because yeah that's what i thought and then reading about it you find out it was written before the it's just two, happy two coincidence <laughs> or, or rather unhappy <laughs> coincidence yeah, well, I'm sure when they were singing all the songs on the tour, it was uh, taking a much more poignant turn. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I mean, but, I mean, look, there are there are some songs on the album where you think, "My God, really? Are, are, you, are yeah. you sure? Are you sure <laughs> Walking this is fire?" <laughs> um, I mean, look, we'll, we'll, when we get to talking about the songs, you know, um, in in general, we'll we'll come back to that. But you know, certainly uh, that was, um, yeah, you're right. It did take on a new level of poignancy and. But, I mean, obviously, I mean, Linda has been on the record as saying, yes, of course they were about a marriage breakup, and Richard has long denied it, and um, the timing would seem to point to that. But yet, of course, nothing comes in a vacuum. And if you're unhappy with your marriage, you don't just sort of think, wow, I'm really happy with Linda, and oh, wow, who's that, who's that woman over there, right? I, I can't leave him my perfectly happy marriage. For I'm sure there was stuff that he was unhappy with over the years, but given that they did... Um, dropped their musical life about two years when uh, Richard decided he wanted to follow Sufism and they went and joined a commune somewhere in the middle of London and he did no music for two years at all. Uh, I don't believe that Linda still practices Sufism or what she actually thought of it at the time. But, I think um, she hated it. She did, didn't. I think I read that she thought she, it was a community the women were all serve you know what goes along with the islam that i know of the yeah. women were subservient to the men i i, I know that she hated being in the, in the commune but i don't know where she maybe, stood okay. on the beliefs per se oh okay but maybe i, know I was she, just getting I, them mixed up no no but I, I know she didn't like being in the commune at least that's what according to uh, the biography that i'd read said that that was the case um so uh, and I've, you know, I've already got to mention that Sandy Denny he had this relationship with her uh, in, a, in a songwriting professional sense and he'd gone and written some great songs in fact I think one of the uh, uh, Richard and Linda songs it's not on this album but a song called uh, For Shame of Doing Wrong um, I, I, to this day I think actually the Sandy Denny version is a definitive one I mean normally I'd say you know the songwriter's version will be the one but I really really truly think that uh, what Sandy did to it was absolutely magic and that for me is the definitive version even better than the Thompsons so um, what else can I say about this background okay so here's some of the history leading up to the actual album um, okay so I, I guess it's you know, generally well known that Richard and Linda were never in any danger of causing much bother to the charts but I think their final album before Shoot Out the Lights, which was an album called Sunny Vista, and is one of an actual I've never heard. Um, it didn't oh, really? Even, yeah, yeah I, out, of, out of the um, 
Rich and Linda uh, catalogue, there's six albums, and I've got three, and I've heard two, and I uh, heard another two, which I don't actually have, which is um, uh, Pour Down Like Silver and Hokey Pokey, uh, and Sunny Vista, I've never actually sought out. A, a good friend of mine, when I was starting to get into Richard, said, keep clear of that one, it's not very good, so uh, I've never actually so heard that Is one. it on YouTube, or...? I, I haven't found it. Doesn't mean that it's not there, but uh, yeah, generally I, I think you can find individual songs, but I don't know that there are whole albums of, uh, of Richard Linders on on YouTube. So um, I don't know. Go, eventually, I think I'll bite the bullet just for you know, to be a completist. But you know, uh, generally, I've not heard great things about that one. And as much as I you know, worship his songwriting shoes, even on the albums that I really love. I think he's not necessarily got absolutely every song right. And a few years ago, he put out an album called uh, Dreamatic. And that was an album that I didn't like at all. Really I remember you it. saying that was the one before Electric, right? Uh, yeah, 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 correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember when we did that, you were saying it was a disappointment for the last one. You really didn't like Huge. it at all. So even, Looks like there's individual tracks, you're right, but not all put together. But there's no. stuff from Sunny Vista on YouTube if you're curious. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> maybe, okay, well, there you go. Maybe I'll, maybe we'll look that up and just listen to a couple of tracks. But there, there are still a couple of albums that he put out after Shoot Out the Lights, after they finally split, uh, which uh, I've got one or two. There's one called uh, Daring Adventures, which is... I'm sure there's some good songs hiding under the gloss, but the production is so terrible, I can't bring myself to listen to it much. So, um, but there's another album. Bad oh, production go goes in the way. Sorry? I hate when bad production gets in the way of a, right. a potentially good album, you know? Oh, the, the, the gloss and the sheen is so bad. And that sort of brings into light something very interesting about Shoot Out the Lights. So, um... After Sunny Vista, uh, the album, the, the label that they were on, which was called Chrysalis, uh, they'd had like I think a two-album deal, and they said, "Look, you know, sorry, you know, the critics aren't even liking this one. I think we're not going to take our uh, our, our uh, relationship any further. We wish you all the best." So, the, you know, the great Richard Thompson and Linda Thompson had uh, they had no album label, they had no album deal, and you know, it was before the days when you know, like nowadays, we just do things independently. They needed an album label. Uh, so Step In, you know, someone who I would have thought was really, really unlikely, but, uh, you know, the, the late Jerry Rafferty. And you would have you would have thought, you know, that, I mean, his star was on the rise, you know, with Baker Street being the big thing at the time, so people were willing to listen to him. And he said, look, you know, I'll try and get you a deal, or uh, meanwhile, let's record your new album. You've got an album of songs, right? I'll record you, I'll pay for studio time, and I'll try to shop it around and get you a... Uh, a deal just because I like what you do, and you know, which was extremely generous, very, very generous. Yeah, no doubt. And now, for those of you out there who sort of uh, didn't know, so there's this whole alternate version of Shoot Out the Lights, you know, the Rafferty sessions, and Richard didn't like it. Now, if you know, you know if you sort of like know where to look, it's out there. And, and John, you've you've heard this alternate version of Shoot Out the Lights, right? Um, I've heard it once, right. I think like a few tracks on YouTube but okay. I don't I haven't listened to the whole album though okay well can you recall like whether you thought that there was a drastic difference in your ears between the one that he eventually released and the, the versions that you heard or was it too far back for you to recall 
Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not running. It's not. Sorry. Okay. No, 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 no. That's fine. That's fine. Um. So, but in Richard's ears, he wasn't happy at all. He hated it. Now, uh, obviously, you know, in preparation for this show, I've sort of gone back to listening. I mean, I hadn't listened to the Jerry Rafferty sessions in a long time. Are they different arrangements? Or no, no, not at all. Not at all. There's um, a couple of songs that made it onto the final version of, or the finally released version of the album. Uh, Man in Need and Did She Jump or Was She Pushed weren't even recorded at the time of the, uh, uh, the original Jerry Rafferty sessions. But... Um, I, but basically, it's the same album. Where you know, there's a couple of different songs that you know. I think he'd gone and re-recorded. I think uh, for shame of doing wrong, he re-recorded for those sessions. Um, I think one or two other songs that didn't end up making onto the what became the Joe Boyd produced version of the album. So basically, you know, there was there was a lot of expense going into the Rafferty version, and you know, that, he couldn't get any interest in it. And Richard didn't like it. So enter Joe Boyd into the picture, who I, if I recall correctly, was like the manager, the original manager of um, of uh, Fairport Convention. So basically, um, Joe Boyd says, right, I'll give you however many thousands of pounds to record this album. And uh, Thompson said, look, I tell you what, I'll record it in half the time. And can we keep the rest of the money to uh, so I can pay the band to uh, go tour America? And Boyd said, do what you want. And uh, I think that's exactly what happened. So after doing all this painstaking recording with Jerry Rafferty, he ended up recording the final version of the album in, oh, look, I don't remember what the time was, but it was something really quick, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe not even that. It's kind of uh, similar to what happened uh, Fiona Apple on the Extraordinary Machine album. They produced the album with John Bryan, and then right. there was some weird thing, and... Uh, and they remixed, they did a whole different um, mix with a couple other producers. And that Brian mix is kind of legendary. It's out uh, there. And it's out there. And again, you know uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting when that happens. It's happened a few times. Right. Uh, in this day and age, you get to hear almost instantaneous the, the one, the version that people never would have heard back in the day. Right. Because it gets leaked right out on the internet, and uh, that yep. that John Bryan version was leaked a year before the actual album or something. I remember when it came out, it was a big deal that the that was never meant to be heard, and that was the version everyone knew for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, you know, I guess technology can work as the artist's friend, but it also works you know, from a creative control perspective as their enemy. You know, they they don't want yeah. this out there, but I guess even before. You know, technology became so ubiquitous there was always a way for uh, an album to uh, always a bootleg yeah right right um all right so um, so eventually anyway um the uh, the album did get recorded as as we said with uh, joe boyd at the helm and uh that's the version that we're going to talk about i might sort of make a couple of references to um the Jerry Rafferty version, but basically, by and large, if you go out there and you're expecting to hear something radically different, you're not going to get it. Um, it's uh, you know the, the same arrangements. There's a little bit of a sheen, I guess, there, but you know it's it's not night and day difference really. So go out there, you know, see if you can find it and have a listen just for comparison's sake and just to say that you've heard it. But it's not going to be something that you keep coming back to. Um, well, look, you know what? We've gone and done. We've gone and spoken for about 25 minutes just on um, 
just the background or so to this album. So maybe what we'll do is we will take another break. I wasn't planning on this. And then we'll come back and talk about the album itself. The album under discussion, shoot out the lights. So um, actually what we'll do, rather than just sort of go take a, uh, a, a podcast ad break, we might go take this opportunity to uh, hear from our good friend Eric Reanimator, Eric Peterson, who's going to do a little bit of helicopters talk for you. So um, awesome. we'll, uh, we'll, we'll interrupt talking about one album to talk about another album, and then we'll be back to talk about the first album. Uh, does that make any sense? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> here's Eric Reanimator. We'll be back shortly. Your mind with me. I'm living. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want you. I want two, three, four. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. from 2004, Strikes Like Lightning. Helicopters hailed from Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, they were part of that 90s high-energy rock and roll scene that I've spoken about in the past. When Morris was telling me about the albums covered in this episode, he mentioned 70s singer-songwriters and albums with the word light in the title, and I had been thinking about the helicopters recently. It's been about five and a half years since they called it quits, and and I did that bonus episode talking about the Fistful of Rock and Roll compilation. And I've also been re-listening to the first album by former Helicopters frontman Nick Anderson and with his new band, uh, Imperial State Electric, recently. So I figured, uh, you know, very 1970-sounding sound, uh, rock and roll with a ACDC, Thin Lizzy kind of vibe to it. I was thinking, um, thinking about the word light. You know, I, what came to mind first was a bunch of songs with the word light in the title or the word light in the lyrics memorably and somehow my brain just landed on strikes like lightning so an EP for those who are not familiar is usually a short set of songs somewhere between four and seven tracks in this case there are six songs oftentimes EPs have been used for bands to try out something new or if they have a couple leftover songs from recording session and they want to put them out, 
Sometimes EPs come out as a stopgap between albums. Sometimes they're a way for a band to release something more than a single, but something less than an album. At any rate, among the other great things that Helicopters did in their, which spanned from 1994 until 2008, was they were very good about participating in compilations, uh, releasing albums, releasing singles, releasing uh, a couple of EPs, doing a whole lot of different styles of releases. In fact, aside from maybe the cassette tape, I can't think of a format which they did not experiment with in some way, shape, or form. To give you a little taste of what the music on this EP sounds like, and I'll come back and talk about the band. As I said previously, the helicopters formed around 1994, and they lasted till 2008. They started off very much in that high-energy garage punk sound that I've talked about previously on the show. Basically, garage punk has come to be an umbrella term for harder rocking subgenres of rock and roll. Everything from uh, power pop to garage rock to punk, ska, rockabilly, what we think of as hard rock, you know, that stuff that approaches a line of metal like ACDC or Thin Lizzy or Blue Oyster Cult, and then there's the various mixes of those sounds. So the helicopter started off with a very raw punk rock sound, and as time went on, as it happens with many, many musicians, their sound was refined, developed, they became more skilled lyrically, more skilled with their instruments, but that energy always remained. By the point that Strikes Like Lightning arrived, they had just come off their biggest commercial success, at least in Sweden, the By the Grace of God album, which I'm going to talk about sometime down the line because that's actually one of my favorites, where there was a certain amount of soul and a certain amount of pop rock and definitely a lot more classic rock sounds being incorporated into the music that they were making. A lot of people commented that Strikes Like Lightning almost seems like By the Grace of God Part 2, but I find it to be a little more a little more direct, a little more not refined as much as maybe more skillfully incorporating those earlier uh, sounds into the kind of music that they were making at the time. It's a great EP. Uh, I, I, I like it a lot. If you want to check out what the later period helicopters sounded like, uh, you could do a lot worse. This is also one of the few releases that does not include some kind of a cover song. They would follow this up with one more album of originals, uh, Rock and Roll is Dead, which is very Chuck Berry sounding record. Actually, I like it quite a bit. It's grown on me over the years. And their final album would actually contain all covers of 
songs by bands that either they knew and had played with in the early days or that were playing around the world in the same kind of style that they were. So at any rate, I'm um, going to leave you now with uh, just a bit of a song. Uh, this is Turn the Wrong Key, and I'll catch you all later. Thanks very much, Eric, for another wonderful album I love segment. Uh, yeah, the helicopters, I've really got to follow up some more of them. I know, as I said, I think earlier they'd been out here a few times. Anyway, yeah, got to follow up on more of that Swedish rock. Yeah, bringing it home. All right, so, but anyway, we're here to talk about uh, Richard Thompson and Linda Thompson's final album together, Shoot Out the Lights from 1982. Uh, it, when it was released, um, recorded in 1981. Uh, so, where do we start with this? I was gonna say, start at the beginning. Well, I'm, I, I don't tend to do the track-by-track track thing anymore. Oh, but, yeah, that's right. But, um, well, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, I'll mention some of the uh, the musicians on the album, because you know, we've been talking a lot about Richard and Linda. But, um, you know, we mentioned that um, apart from uh, Pete Zorn, all the rest are Fairport Convention guys. So we've got uh, Simon Nickel on uh, rhythm guitar. And it must be a hard gig playing <laughs> any sort of guitar alongside Richard Thompson. Yeah. A guy called Dave Pegg on bass, who I think, I can't remember if he was part of the original lineup or, 
Well, oh yeah, no, he he was. That's right. And they got uh, Dave Mattox on drums, who is something of a hero to me. I uh, really admire his uh, his playing. You know, he doesn't go over the top, but he is technically brilliant and uh, but a player of taste. So uh, it works well that he plays with someone like Richard, also a player of taste. We get background vocals on a couple of the songs from um, the British family folk supergroup, the Watersons. Martin Carthy and Norma Waterson, and I'm pretty sure I saw them locally at uh, the uh, Port Ferry Folk Festival, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe about eight, nine years ago, and uh, they were absolutely mesmerizing. So uh, it's Martin and Norma, Mike and Lal. They have a daughter as well called Eliza, who's an amazing fiddle player, but um, I'm not sure. She's not actually on this album. Uh, and we mentioned Pete Zorn before. Now, Pete Zorn actually came out of uh, Jerry Rafferty's band. He was so fascinated with Richard, so he uh, migrated. There you go. Jumping off. Uh, Steelers Wheel? Sorry? No, this would be before Steelers. No, this is Steel- Steelers Wheel. Oh, no, this is post Steelers Wheel. Steelers Wheel was like post, 70. Yeah. 73, 74. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, and this would be 80, okay. And he went and put out his albums, um, Baker Street and Night Owl. And in fact, actually, Richard plays uh, session work on Jerry Rafferty's Night Owl album, which is really why uh, Jerry Rafferty sort of chose to pursue trying to help him out afterwards because he really loved what he'd done on that album and thought, wow, you know, the great Richard Thompson doesn't have a label, doesn't have an album. I've got to help this. I'm going to use my, my current uh, rising star to help out this guy. And, you know, really, I mean, that's that's as altruistic as it gets. That was fantastic. So let's actually talk about some of the songs that appear on the album. I'm not going to, as I said, go in any order. I just sort of like, I want to go, you know, through things thematically. And we spoke before about... Um, you know, why there's all this suspicion uh, or a belief that this is you know, one of the great breakup albums and you know, because of the timing uh, it seems to point in fact that it wasn't a breakup album but you get even s- the album cover now, now the album cover I think is a different matter oh the, it came the, out after I guess I, they would have been picking I'm, out the art yeah. I'm sure okay so for those of you who haven't seen well you describe the album cover well it's Richard sitting in the corner of a kind of run down yellowed wallpapered room Right, and he's got a like a, a smile, like but like a frustrated, like he's been screaming and he's laughing of frustration. He's flopped in the corner of the room, and uh, on this yellowed, peeling, wallpapered wall, there's a photo of or a, a one hung picture up in the top of the one corner of the room, and it's of uh, Linda Thompson. Uh, it's just <laughs> it goes along with the album totally. Yeah, and it's it's slightly on a on a slant. The uh, yeah, the photo kind of separate from him. It's not along his eye line, in the decaying room of their marriage, and they're not together, and they're not seeing eye to eye. And, right, right. And they're frustrated to to laughter, and they're distant. For, and you know, it's very um. Again, this album may not have been written while their marriage was dissolving, but. I mean, it was written when they're married. Like, you know, in hindsight, right, you know, right. this stuff didn't come out of nowhere. And it's very apt that they were, you know, fighting during the tour. And, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure that might have powered the songs a bit. And I, I mean, I, I've no idea whether all is forgiven, but certainly over, I think, the last couple of uh, Linda Thompson solo albums, uh, Richard's even played guitar on them. So... She can at oh, well, least must be getting along all right then. Uh, well, they've, they've still got the children, and I know that uh, they I, I think he's their eldest, Teddy Thompson, has spent a lot of time working with uh, Richard. He's uh, they've toured together. 
uh, Teddy's played uh, rhythm guitar in his band and he's sung songs with his father. Teddy was the one who persuaded his mother to come out of retirement. You know, she, she had psychogenic dysphonia. Yeah, um, she couldn't she sing because he uh, right. destroyed him. But he persuaded her to come out of retirement and, and get her behind the, behind the microphone. And he went and helped her write the songs and arrange the songs and has become something like a, a Wainwright family affair. And I know that the Wainwrights and the Thompsons are, uh, are all friends. Yeah, so he, he's, he's worked, you know, bringing his mother out of retirement and he's worked with his dad. So I wonder whether he was the one who said, you know, come on, dad, you know, come and play on mom's album. I don't know why I put that accent on, but... Uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, so yeah, that album cover, I'm convinced, was done after the... Uh, the yeah, that makes sense. A- but thing- even thematically, it fits. Even if they were a happily married couple, it, the album cover would still work for the contents, yep. which is why it's so ironic that these songs were supposedly written when the marriage was strong. <laughs> and if I were- don't believe it. No, no, no. Well, it, here's the thing. If you were a casual... Thompson Observer, you knew nothing about their history, you could imagine that the first album that they did together, which is called I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight, and the last album that they did together yeah. was called Shoot Out the Lights. You know, if you were, I noticed that. If you were like an obsessive, like you, you interpreted millions of things from the Beatles cover of Abbey Road, that would be flashing off warning bells. Oh, the beginning of the marriage. Oh, the end of the marriage. But of course, I want to see the bright lights tonight is an album full of misery, like, you know, just as much as uh, Shoot Out the Lights is an album with a lot of uh, hard tales to tell. But as you know, I think we were speaking about before, you know, sometimes a songwriter is just a songwriter and they <laughs> put themselves in someone else's shoes. I mean, it, it's very convenient to sort of say, oh, this song must be about the marriage breakup. And you know, maybe, as we're saying, it is possible to sort of take that interpretation here that you know, the marriage was not happy. And really, like for the previous two or three albums, there'd been a lot of songs of uh, religious rev- reverence, not reference, reverence. They were taking a different tack here. And one of the songs on the album, I'm, I'm making a comparison here between the Bruce Springsteen song, Hungry Heart. And uh, that's oh. a song called Man in Need. I packed my rags, went down the hill, left my dependence a lion still. Just as the dawn was arising, I was making good speed. I left a letter lying on the bed from a man in need and red. Now, I mean, musically, the two don't sound anything the same, but I, I, I mean, I'm not sure whether one song played an influence on the other, but they're both songs about a guy who gets up first thing in the morning, leaves his family, you know, sleeping, lying there, and he's just keen to get away. But whereas I think in Hungry Heart, it sounds to me like the, the, the protagonist of the song just realise it's just something I've got to do. He has few regrets and he's just going to get on because it's all that's good for him whereas he sings in this song i packed my bags went down the hill left my dependence lying still just as the dawn was rising up i was making good speed i left a letter on the bed from a man in need it read it's so hard who's going to cure the heart of a man in need we've got a character here 
who sounds like he's almost trying to convince himself, you know, who's going to who's gonna shoe your feet, who's going to pay your rent, who's going to stand by you, well, who's going to cure the heart of a man in need, you know, you, all you're doing is asking about your needs, what about me, what about me, but it doesn't sound to me like he's ever really convinced himself, he's saying these things like he's trying to justify his actions, leaving his family, and this really... Yeah. It should just be not me at the end of, you know, he's saying all these things he's not going to do. Well, I mean, you wonder, this song wasn't part of the original Jerry Rafferty session, so maybe this was after the the separation. Who knows? (laughs) That's my take on that. I I love the uh, the Watersons' background vocals. It's sung in such an English way. Uh, American background vocals would have sounded, you know, pitch-corrected, perfect, but this... I mean, this doesn't sound like... It's not meant to sound like a criticism. It almost sounds a bit shambolic, a bit ramshackle here, but I think that's its that's its strength, and it sort of adds something to the lyric content of the song. You know, the guy's feeling unsure, and nothing is perfect. It's not pitch perfect. It's, it, it, their vocals sound great, but it's not got that sheen. It, it just it really, really works. It, it makes it... it, makes it, it the, the vocals sound a little bit flawed, and it's about this guy who is essentially... He's a flawed human being. And I think a lot of the tales on this album are about flawed human beings. What do you think about the the track listing on this album? Um, Kenny goes along with the the, the first, uh, I think it's up to Backstreet Slide, that they're uh, alternating lead vocals. Um, so um, um, so it's kind of keeping them apart again. I mean, I know I I understand uh, the harmonies are done by each on each other's songs, but right. uh, you know. Um, Richard's the you know lead on the first or on the second song. Linda's the on the first. Yeah. Well, actually, it, it's interesting. So the, the first song on the album, um, which is another sort of song that we tended to point out and think, oh, this must be about a marriage breakup. It's a song called "Don't Renege on Our Love." I yeah. Don't think, I don't think I've ever heard the word "renege" used in a used in a song before. <laughs> Remember when we were hand. This is probably the one, for me, major difference between the Rafferty sessions and this one, is that Linda sings lead vocals on the um, the Rafferty sessions versions, and Linda, by the time they got to re-recording, she was heavily pregnant. Uh, I guess so. And but because she was she was so heavily pregnant, she couldn't breathe properly to sing in the fashion that she normally would be able to. So she couldn't sort of write out the whole album how she actually did. She's singing a lot more on the Rafferty versions of uh, okay. Rafferty sessions. So um, 
So again, another coincidence that the the, the 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 separation of the lead vocals is well, not by design, or maybe it is in the post mix. Correct. Again, yeah, another thing that might have happened accident, a happy accident of unhappiness. <laughs> maybe you know, just for for people like us to be uh, sort of picking it apart. So, sure. Well, do to, to do the the Paul is dead thing with yes, this album. Yeah, completely. So yeah, don't renege on our love. Uh, so you know, as I said, we've been speaking a lot about the Thompsons breakup and there's been you know so much has been written about uh and you know once again you know the i mean even in this song you could say well he's just taking storyteller's license and like even post tom like linda thompson he'd gone and written um a, a song like razor dance which is on an album that came out in 95 96 called you me Us. after the death of a thousand kisses comes the catacomb of tongues who can spit the meanest venom from the poison of their lungs coolest dance is the residence circle in and circle around he said she said she said he said fell to put me song about uh, a marriage breakup and it is acrimonious it is uh, i think the opening line is a uh, after the death of a thousand kisses comes the catacomb of tongues who can spit the meanest venom from the poison of their lungs and it's the song about you know when we separate there's a, a dance we dance around each other to see who can get advantage of the other one and that's a marriage breakup and he's perfectly happy with nancy carby there was no following so uh, there we go saying that you know these so- nothing comes in a vacuum and yet there you know in razor song uh, razor dance it's um just taking artistic license unless you know 15 years down the track he's still thinking about linda which i doubt <laughs> but oh, um, yeah so so anyway comes to this uh, song don't renege on our love which was uh, the one the the one single off of the album oh, which i, uh, I find i find kind of weird that I, I walking on a wire was, or shoot out the lights weren't released as singles. I, I didn't or, actually know that there was a yeah. single release from the album. Wow. Yeah, don't really. This, this is the one according to Wikipedia, anyways. Okay. I found it an odd choice. It's it. I mean, it's catchy enough. It's yep. uh, and it's a nice enough song. But I mean, there's at least three other songs ahead of it that I would have thought would have been prime single releases. Right. Right. And Wall of Death could have charted, as far as I'm concerned. You know? Oh, man. You know, have you heard the uh, REM version of uh, Wall of Death? No. Well, well, we'll no. Talk, oh, yeah. We'll That'd talk be... a little bit about that. There was a, um, a, I think they originally released it as a B-side on a CD single, but it ended up, where I first heard it, was on a CD called Beat the Retreat, which was an American tribute to uh, Richard Thompson. There was... Uh, an English tribute to Richard Thompson called I think the world is a wonderful place I've never heard that one but uh, the American one has people like Loudon Wainwright and um, Evan Dando and R.E.M. what's his um, uh, Huskadoo um, oh um, Bob uh, Mould Bob Bob Mould the the Blind Boys of (laughs) Alabama Uh, it's as far as I mean there was a, a plethora of tribute albums in the 90s and a lot of them were just not worth your time but um a couple of the better ones the thompson one was some of them great. were fun yeah uh, look, there, there was some i think there was a bit of a notch because you could sort of find some really oh, choice tracks but then they'd have 
a couple of people you think, what the hell were they thinking? What were there? They all, there were some really bad metal ones. I mean, aside from just you know, if you don't like metal or whatever, but there were some that were like, like I say, uh, uh, metal tribute to Metallica. I don't know yep. because the lot of them were remaking other metal bands but they would be all like studio like people hired like bands made up just for that right do the worst like karaoke kind of covers <laughs> you're like oh my god this is awful yeah yeah. tell me what, what do you think of um, there was a bit of a trend for a while for um uh bluegrass bands to take oh, on yeah, yeah, hard, rock, yeah. hard rock so like hey see dixie hey see and, dixie is and, the big the one right yeah like yeah, yeah dixie though they so you do or you don't I do. Uh, yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I, I they're curiosities and 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 gimmicky, you know, whatever they are, what they are. But I enjoy them. I like their cover. I actually, I'm not the biggest fan. I'm a huge Sabbath fan. Yep. But War Pigs never did it for me, right. and I like their cover of War Pigs probably better than Sabbath. <laughs> but really? I probably get lynched in some circles. But again, I'm just not a big fan of that track for whatever right. reason. Right. Um, there was also recently, I think, Jeff from um, Feed My Ears fame went and um, pointed me to an album called Strummin' with the Devil, which was a bluegrass yeah. tribute to uh, Van Halen. And that's a lot of fun. That is just <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're fun. fun. That's, a good, that's a good definition. So there you go. So yeah, the tribute album sort of uh, taking a bit of a different turn from... Uh, from the 90s ones but anyway so this thompson one had um had some really choice cuts on it a couple which i think didn't quite work uh one that i absolutely loved and thought was actually even better than the thompson version was uh you remember graham parker and the rumor they were sort of a part of that uh whole new wave thing you know along with joe jackson and elvis costello at the tail end of the 70s uh yeah, oh Lord, don't ask ask me questions and i know the scene but i'm not sure of uh, him well he, he he did a cover version of uh, a song that thompson wrote called the madness of love and that song was only released like i think on a fan club only cassette called doom and gloom from the tomb but um yeah i, I think that the uh, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a sounds like a surf rock album or a <laughs> rockabilly a psychobilly album doom and gloom like from the tomb the cramps would come out with that. Oh, totally, totally, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so back to this album. Um, what was oh we were talking about? Don't renege on our love. And um, you're saying right, okay. So yeah, he has written songs post marriage breakup that were about marriage breakups. But you know, you get you get a line in this uh, or verse. Uh, There's a rope that binds us, and I don't want to break it. Uh, if love is a healing, why should we forsake it? Hunger is hunger and need is need. Am I just another mouth to feed? What were they saying to each other? And, and the fact is they both... It's all good, Morris. They're happy. Oh, yeah. well, they are <laughs> they in a much, happy. They're in a much happier place now, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the, the marriage might have been happy, or she just used to live in with... I mean, does he get it all out on the paper, or is he just like this negative bastard all the time? Like... Uh, all right, well, this marriage is ending because I don't care if you're not mad at me, man. You've got a negative outlook. Yeah. Well, here's here's the thing. I mean, I because I mean, okay, as I said earlier, I've only heard like half the songs, or well, half half the albums from the Richard and Linda output. Well, so I own half the albums, and I've, I've heard bits and pieces of a couple. Yeah. And they, they, really, he he's a very dark songwriter. But post Linda, he's written a lot of stuff with. You know, he's got a huge sense of humor, and if you see him sure. live, he's always you know he's doing novelty songs and he's cracking jokes with the audience. And you just sort of wonder. I mean, 
You know, the same thing can be said with Nick Cave, right? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, by all accounts, he's happily married. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, he's a monster. <laughs> no, well, I, as as I think uh, you know, I, I told you about, he, you know, a year and a half ago, I saw him uh, about yeah. you know, four or five kilometers from where I live, you know, in the local bookshop with his two sons, and then you know, yeah. half an hour later, he was eating lunch with his uh, with his sons and with his wife, and they were having you know quite a nice happy uh you know sit out luncheon in in uh, one of the in the local suburb main shopping strip and no one was coming up to him and say uh, excuse me mr cave what really is the meaning behind your murder ballads and he's just, <laughs> just being happy in suburban you know here in yeah, downtown melbourne yeah of course of course it's just fun to to uh imagine oh yeah no no other side to them but the artistic side we read about <laughs> so so tell me what was what were some of the album highlights for you Oh, um, well, walking on a wire. Before I, you know, the research and find out, you know, I, I was under the impression this album was written while the marriage was dissolving. And you're like, <laughs> oh my god, that song. I mean, just like we've been saying, right? It's a very apt breakup song album, and that song is very touching. Mm. Um, uh, Shoot at the lights. In the dark, we can't see his face. Which the first time I mean I heard it was on Elvis Costello's Spectacle. He does right. a performance with, and I loved that performance. Oh man, uh, that song's just great, man. The guitar work in it, it's catchy. It's, that, I mean, that it's was bombastic. I, that that was something I was going to say. I mean, I think that the studio version has not done that song justice. I mean, even there, there's still a killer guitar solo. Yeah. But live is the way that you hear that song. You know, yeah. Whether he, he, he bends those the, notes down at the beginning. And you're like, whoa, how far... <laughs> that guitar, man, how far can you bend that? Uh, the, the, the band is... Um, it, it, it just sounds so nasty and, and dark, and it just doesn't have that same effect in the uh, studio version but it's, it's played well enough that you can sort of think well I, I recognize this is a great song but every live version i've heard it and even when he's come out and he's just done it on acoustic guitar and you think how could he do that on acoustic guitar but it still sounds 
dark and menacing, even when it's just him, him because, well, he can do stuff with six strings as a lot of people can. Spectacles and Ass, it was an awesome show. <laughs> it was it was a great show, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I never thought Elvis Costello would have that in him. <laughs> like, I didn't see an uh, awesome I uh, he, he probably, Austin City Limits style show coming out from... He probably got influenced by um, you know, Bob Dylan doing the theme time radio hour thing. He thought, oh, well, you know, if, uh, if uh, Bob can um, talk about music, then I can talk to musicians and let's see what they have to say. And I'll, I'll, well, bring, also, I'll bring the imposters with me, you know. It's a kind of a mixture of that and uh, did you ever see the Rollins show? No, was there, was there a Henry Rollins show? Yes, and it was awesome. It was very much oh, wow. like spectacle. Well, but he would talk more. And yes. then they would perform, so kind of like spectacle. But he would take it'd be, well, it'd be every kind, all across genres, right? But he would tend to have Slayer on there, like or punk, punk guys too, right? Stuff mm-hmm. that you know, spectacle would be more the rock. Um, but I mean, Rollins did everything too, but he, he didn't always perform, right? With like like Costello does, but uh, uh, good stuff. No, he's- Anyways, also Wall of Death. That song is so catchy. I just sing it all the time. I love it. So you wouldn't. So I think those three tracks really, "Walking on a Wire," uh, "Shoot Out the Lights," and "Wall of Death." Well, let's let's um, let's just talk a little bit about those. Let's talk a little bit about those songs. Um, So "Walking," uh, "Walking on the Wire." I mean, I I hate to sort of make this one big obsessive talk about uh, their marriage breakup, but you know the opening line. Come on, I I hand you. I got to keep coming back to it, John. I hand you my ball and chain. You just hand me that same old refrain. I mean, yeah. Oh. There's no way not to, to to discuss it in that context, right? That's what the song is about. Um, and you, you could talk about being a storyteller and all that, but the fact is, their marriage broke up while they were, you know, within the span of writing this right. album and touring this album. Their marriage did break up, so they're but- again. Can you imagine what she was thinking? Like, if Richard had gone and handed her this song, said, "Like, I've written this song, you sing it," and she's singing his words, <laughs> the, the words that he's giving hey, to her. To he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you something, but I want you to sing it to yourself so you know what I'm trying to tell you. I mean, oh man, that was the height of sensitivity. Richard, if you're listening to this, I still love your work and I admire you so please don't hold it against me I'm going to be too afraid to post this on the Richard Thompson Facebook page about oh I show. know uh, I, uh, we just did Nico Case's last album The Harder I Fight The More I Love You something like that I yep. need to look at the title to read the, the <laughs> title and uh, you know it was a drooling love fest the talk about her but uh, uh, and I tweeted at her you know oh. that we oh, yeah. released this, and then I was afraid. I mean, she would never listen to it, but then I was like, I said something about her not aging particularly. Like she's <laughs> That's aging, right, nat- she's, yes. she's aging naturally. I think uh, it's obvious. Like I love the woman, 
So, uh, <laughs> but no, like she listens, no to this, shit, I really? try to say like she's looking like she's you know the hard living. No, not even that. I, you know, she's just aging naturally. She's you know in her mid forties and she's got a big gray streak and her 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 legendary Nordic beauty is kind of become earthy. <laughs> but I'm afraid if she hears this, man, she's like, I'm just a pig. <laughs> course she would never listen to it but i like i kind of wanted her to you know but you know it's just yeah or, or she might go so oh, he's right oh my oh my god he's, he's so completely right i didn't see that oh john oh, oh that. i should say i still think she's a beautiful beautiful woman she is a beautiful beautiful woman <laughs> i wanted to also okay so the other two songs you mentioned so shoot out the lights many years later um Richard Winton wrote a, a song called Dad's Gonna Kill Me. Out in the desert there's a soldier lying dead Vultures pecking the eyes out of his head Another day that could have been me there instead Nobody loves me here, nobody loves me here Dad's gonna kill me Dad's gonna kill me You hit the booby trap and you're in pieces Every bullet yeah, risk increases Old Alibaba, he's a different species Nobody loves me here, nobody loves me here And Dad's gonna kill me And Dad's gonna kill me Which, you know, you sort of think before you hear the song that it's, you know, gonna be, oh yeah, there's gonna be a humorous song about, uh, you know, pubescence or something like that But the dad of the title is Baghdad so it's a song sung from the perspective of an American soldier in Iraq. Um, and you know, years before though, because of the aforementioned invasion of Afghanistan, he wrote Shoot Out the Lights and this has been interpreted to be uh, from the perspective of a soldier in Afghanistan and you know, oh. what's going on in his head in the dark who can see his face and the dark who can reach him he hides like his child uh, like a child keeps his finger on the trigger he can't stand the day shoot out the lights and, and then yeah, it, it just gets all kinds of nasty in, in, uh, in that guitar solo it's uh, I'm, not, I'm not one to normally sort of like dribble on about guitar solos but really that he sounds the guitar takes on a personality of its own and it sounds wild and manic and and just so menacing I, I really not fewer there are fewer songs as dark as that that have a place as strong as that in my heart i hear something wonderful in it and new in it every time it's a song i will never ever tire awesome. of um you mentioned uh wall of death now i think it's i mean that's the last song on the album and I think it's actually, it's positioned really, really well on the album. I know that one of the big things about releasing a record is the sequencing and making sure that everything sort of flows smoothly. And after we've gone through this album of pain and infidelity and disloyalty and, and death, uh, we come up to this song, Wall of Death, which is anything but you know it's um it's uh, in fact i remember one radio announcer saying many years ago when he was talking about the rem version he was saying that he can't think of a more life-affirming song yeah it's very life over the first the first verse you know the lines whatever uh, i never feel more alive than when i'm riding the wall of death I yes think. Uh, that's the paraphrase phrase and that's in the very first uh the very first verse 
Right. This is. Uh, oh. I don't have that uh, pulled it, yeah, up here. Is, um, let me ride on the wall of death one more time. You can waste your time on the other rides. This is the nearest to being alive. Let me take my yeah. chances on the wall of death. So this song, you know, this is a metaphor for you know, living your life with a little bit of excitement. Don't always play it safe. You know, take. Be, don't be afraid to take that step outside your comfort zone as you know the 21st century parlance would have it. I love that line. I think it's in the last verse where, um, what does he sing about? Uh, oh, yeah, uh, maybe you're strong, but oh, yeah, when you're, you're going nowhere when you ride on the carousel and maybe you're strong, but what's the good of ringing a bell? So, you know, these, you know, you're, when, you're, when you're on the carousel, it's like, you know, you're, 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 maybe you're going to work every day and you're just sort of going in the same round, you know, eat, sleep shit eat sleep shit do something different take something different yeah you know? and you may be strong but what's the point in ringing a bell what have you really achieved you've gone and shown that you're strong i mean uh but you know let me take my chances on the wall of death i'll either succeed or i'll fail but at least i'll have given it a try i mean i say that as someone who's not really comfortable in doing dangerous things but i admire you know richard thompson for alerting me to the possibilities outside my comfort zone all that and it's very catchy too just the singing is yeah just uh it's a just a good pop lyric there uh i would sing a a belted out but man i sing too much on my own show and i do not have a voice for singing hey listen (laughs) uh mr ross you the floor is yours i am happy (laughs) to release your singing to the uh, love that album audience yeah well i'm gonna keep it uh to their imaginations right but okay. uh very very catchy i've got uh, a ri- song i've got a written a note here actually that i would have thought that a song with a title like wall of death would be a a great name for an iron maiden tune well it's a point of fact it's the actual there's a very specific kind of mosh pit um to create uh known the band Lamb of God is known for uh, right. that has actually been banned from their shows because it literally people were dying <laughs> in this wall of death. Oh, uh, so it's an actual thing now. Uh, and I'm sure it's an actual r- carnival ride, like, you know, he's singing or metaphorically using it as, right? Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's an actual term been bandied about for a type of mosh pit that's particularly heinous in the <laughs> metal world and and have you uh partaken in this mosh pit no no i was never much of a mosher and the lamb of god was past my limited time of moshing right and i think they came out when i was in my 30s and i was at a concert last night and uh, there was, was some. Was, there was a yeah there was a little mosh pit going in the front i'm like well away i'm like okay no where's the seat I can't. I can't even. <laughs> I can't even bang my head, man. I was like, I'm worried. I got long hair now again, like I did in my youth. Well, not like it was in my youth. It's much thinner. <laughs> but I was worried that I was going to get caught up and start whipping my hair around and uh, then pay the the consequences to tomorrow. You know, with my back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, luckily, I adopted a slow head bob, and that sufficed. <laughs> Oh, I remember in um, in the 90s, I used to go see my favorite local band, Weddings Parties Anything, play, and you really wouldn't have thought that their brand of folk rock would be the sort of thing that people did hard moshing to, but every show I went to, I was taking my life in my own hands. I think I, you know... Went and joined the moshes once, and I thought never again, you know, because I'm oh. I'm not I'm not a big guy. I'm a very thin guy, and I 
you know, took my life into my own hands. But there was that level of camaraderie that you just didn't get by standing at the back of the room and nodding your head. I had to say I did it once. Well, I am kind of a big guy, big-ish. I'm not huge, but, you know, I'm six six foot two, right. 230 pounds. I can throw myself around in the mosh pit, 230 pounds. I was 230 pounds. I'm more than that now, I think. <laughs> the good living, but anyways, John. Uh, but, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, the muscular and skeletal system ain't what it was 20 years ago. So I just tend to avoid that situation at all costs. Indeed. Oh, all right. Well, any, I mean, we've not sort of gone and discussed absolutely every song. But basically, if, the, if you're out there and you've not heard the Thompsons shoot out the lights, I think you get the impression that this uh, album is uh, quite beloved of, uh, of both of us, me for a long time and yourself for, for uh, the last 12 months or so. Actually, so let, me yeah. ask you, let me ask you this. When, when um, uh, either myself or Davey Mack put you um, into the Thompson frame of mind, which other albums? Did, did you follow up on many other albums? Um, some. You know, I've, I've, a handful. Uh, Henry the Human Fly, oh, Mock wow. Tudor. Uh, I... I um, couple from the 90s that yep. i quite liked uh yeah but three or four yeah. i i you know it, there's so much to listen to and so many commitments to listen uh, to stuff 100%. i haven't been able to dive into everyone like i would have you know a couple of years ago now look you, you, uh mock tudor is among i think that was his last album for capital but that's one i'm very very fond of i mean i know yeah i like there's, that there's, a too. Bunch, there's a whole bunch i guess that you would say that i'm fond of but uh but yeah, song, the songwriting is great on that. And um, uh, Henry, Henry the Human Fly, the story goes that Richard said at the time it got made that he personally had met every person who ever bought a copy. You know, which is typical of his self-deprecating manner. But you know, I think he was sort of trying to point out that that album did not sell very, very well. Uh, I, I bought it on, I think it was a CD re-release. I'm not sure. Maybe it might have been like eight, nine, ten years ago or so. But um, it is, I guess, it might be one of the harder Thompson albums to uh, to come by. Um, I think there are still a couple from the 80s that might be out of print. Uh, there's one I'm really very keen to get my hands on called Hand of Kindness. I've got like a, a bunch of those Hand of Kindness songs on a Thompson compilation called Watching the Dark, but I'd like to have the original. The Rumor album. and Sigh, that's another one. Uh, Rumor and Sigh, I think that was, I can't remember, Rumor and Sigh or Amnesia, that was the first album that came out on Capitol. And, uh, yeah, I think I, I think, listened to all of his Capitol stuff fairly well. Amongst amongst the uh, Thompson um, experts, basically, yeah, Rumor and Sigh is seen as like being another high watermark, just like Shoot Out the Lights is. Yeah, I, I remember liking it, and I've got to go back and listen to it some more. Um, it's funny, uh, there's, uh, we have a, uh, XM Sirius uh, digital radio. Do you guys have that out your way? I've, I've, like, I've, heard, I've heard of it. I have, don't really know much about that. We uh, got a new car, so we get like a trial with it, right? And okay. uh, I don't listen to much radio, even this, you know, commercial free or digital radio. But the other day I was messing around and the alternative station's crap. It's all synth pop these days. I don't even know. How. But anyways, and I found the station, The Loft, and uh, Stony Ground was playing. That's how oh, I stopped. Wow. I was like, hey, Richard Thompson. <laughs> they're playing Richard Thompson. And then the next time I turned it on, they were playing some Nick Cave. And the next time they were playing some Mark Lanigan. So that's my station now. Oh, fantastic. I mean, I'd be stuck on that if I had a station that was playing that all the time. Yeah. I mean, having, having said that, we have a couple of really, really good community stations 
uh, here in Melbourne that uh, when I when I do turn on the radio, so I, I gravitate. I'm in particular one of them, PBS FM. I tend to gravitate a lot towards that. That's got a lot of awesome stuff on that station, and uh, stylistically different. You can get two hours of metal or two hours of Zydeco or. Uh, two hours of Scar, wherever you want to go, and they have a lot of like 50s R&B, and yeah, I, I definitely tend to go towards that. So I guess you know I can't lament not having XM Sirius because we have PBS here, and uh, they're they're pretty wonderful. I've been listening to them for I don't know, a good 30 years or something like that. Yeah, I still usually just listen to my iPod, anyways. <laughs> then well, I know what I'm listening to. Well, here's here's the thing, you know, we've got all these wonderful podcasts that we have to. Uh, Oh yeah, that's for work. <laughs> the, uh, uh, well, no, I, I, I listen to them on the way to work. That's um, what I listen to my music. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, um, all right. So I think we've pretty much, as I said, covered all that we wanted to um, discuss about Thompson. He, you know, pretty much the thing that we can take away from his work in general is he's a guy who knows how to blend melancholy, humour, great melodies, great storytelling, death, self-deprecation into this great package. He's not. It, it, I know it sounds depressing and horrible, but it's not. This is there's life affirming stuff, there's sad stuff, but um, he's a great songwriter, fantastic uh, guitar player. And I, I went with my sister to see him on one occasion that he toured, and like she's not a guitar person, and I mean she appreciated the songwriting, but she said something I'd never even considered. She said I love his singing voice, and I said I'd never actually really considered that. Um, we talked it, about his singing voice when um, we did the uh, electric because okay. it actually turned me off at first oh, i'd, I'd uh, forgotten that okay yeah but when i first heard stony ground i was like oh and selford sunday it was the first two tracks i was like his baritone is his honeyed voice i think you put it <laughs> um it kind of reminded me of like i think we we established a troubadour like uh like like uh singing in a king's court or something it, it kind of it, it put me in a weird i've since i love his voice now yeah and yeah, i loved yeah. his voice before you know listening to the rest of that album but yeah we had talked about it because right. uh he has a distinct voice of 100 percent um and, and, but yeah i'm oh, sorry i'd forgotten that that part of the i should really go back and listen to that show but i never listen to my own shows after i put them out so but i should i should go back to that i was worried about am i going to double up am i going to say the same thing twice oh well anyway never mind Mate, one one lapse that's okay <laughs> all right so we're at the end of the program we mentioned briefly at the beginning of the show that the main thing that has changed between the last time we recorded on love that album and this time is that you know feed my ears the facebook page has now spawned feed my ears the podcast now I'm sure a lot of the people who listen to uh, this program have been made aware. I've gone and uh, plugged your show uh, well, because, I, you. because I love it. But for those who weren't listening, who weren't paying attention last time, please go plug. Tell us about Feed My Ears, uh, your co-hosts, and how people can find it. Well, um, you can find it on iTunes, Feed My Ear podcast, or uh, I post links on the group. Um, it's uh, a bi-weekly show usually bi-weekly, um, with me, uh, Nato, and Jeff Rocks from the group. And we each pick an, we pick an album. One of us picks an album. We talk about it in the next show. And every fourth show, uh, we pick a group. We get someone from the group to pick an album. We pull in some extra people. Um, so we're recording tomorrow night. We're going to record um, Soul Jacker by The Eels. And I think uh, our next pick, because I know ahead of time, 
uh, is going to be Dead Milkman's Greatest Hits. Uh, Death Rides a Pale Cow. Have you ever heard the Dead Milkman, Morris? Uh, I, I have heard of them, but I have not heard their material. Should I? They're, they're, I Sure. <laughs> they're not a, they're, you sound a bit hesitant. I, well, they're not essential. Let's okay. put it that way. They're very fun. <laughs> You've just they're gone and fun. preempted your whole episode, John. Oh, I don't know. They're they're very fun. Very they're they're a jokey punk band. Uh-huh. So take that uh, you know, they have a song called Driving Retards to the Zoo and a song <laughs> called Bitching Camaro. They're very enjoyable. I don't know if they're essential. Uh they have a song called Smoking Banana Peels. Nice. <laughs> but but yeah, and then uh I think where our next group show is gonna be uh Pearl Jam versus your favorite uh oh, band, yeah, yeah. Morris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pearl Jam. Yeah, yeah. Well I, I like it when they got rid of Eddie Vedder and, and said, Hey Neil, you wanna sing for us for an album? And you can write the songs too. And <laughs> yeah, Mirable is awesome. Love Mirable. Yeah. So, so we got our albums planned out for the next little while. Um, we just did a Nico Case album and uh, Metallica Master Puppet. So, it's um, we're rolling up on show seven and eight. Um, starting to, the starting to go smoother. You know, working out the bugs, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, the first ten episodes of any show are usually growing pains, right? But I mean, I'm at sixty-one and I'm still got growing pains. I still don't know if I'm doing <laughs> the right thing. <sighs> it's nice to have a lot of support, so thank you, Morris. My absolute pleasure. Final things we're gonna uh, just uh, housekeeping stuff. So yeah, if you want to join the Facebook page and discuss favorite albums, which musicians are sleeping with other musicians, you know, um, where musicians get their cocaine, anything, you know, it's it's, it's all it's all good. Um, <laughs> all the details on the hottest groupies. <laughs> Because uh, uh, you know, we got, want some, Fate's we want got some it all. Action. Yeah, yeah, all absolutely. the salacious details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. Tell your friend. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album. You want to send me any feedback? And actually, I'm feeling a bit bad because someone actually has been sending me feedback the last couple of months and. I don't have don't have uh, the account up in front of me. I could log in, but that would make bad program for me to bring that up now. But uh, Richard out there, I have received your last couple of emails, and um, you're a, a fascinating correspondent. I, I tried inviting him to come on the show to talk, but he said, no, 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 I'm articulate when I write, but not when I speak. But I'm going to still see if I can convince him to come on the show. He um, He's a man after my own heart. He, uh, he sort of has a bit of a... History knows his Australian uh, rock music of the 70s, and um, I'm sure he'd have a lot of interesting things to say if I can convince him. So uh, anyway, Richard, I do have your email. I'll try and read it on the next program. Uh, but if you want to send me an, uh, an email to talk about um, any particular show or any particular concept, and I'll do my best to read it out on the next one when I'm a bit more organized, send your emails to rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. I'd love it if you decided you wanted to... Um, a bit of a review on iTunes. It's been a while since someone's done it, uh, but uh, I'd be grateful because I don't know. I hear rumours that you write stuff on iTunes and it goes up in some algorithm, and there's a better chance that iTunes will promote you. I don't understand that system, John. You know, where when if lots of people give you, if lots of people listen to you and write iTunes reviews, iTunes will promote you. But surely it's when not a lot of people listen to you and you want to get the word out, that's when you need iTunes to promote you. I, I don't get it. It's the state of the world. <sighs> Some Americans. Yeah, bloody Americans. No, no, hang on. Americans. Oh, is, oh, fuck, Americans and their algorithms. Uh, I've, I've just gone and lost, lost probably half my audience. <sighs> Damn it. 
You you Canadian trickster. Oh God, there I go. I've we'll, lost the other we'll half of my the, audience. We'll bring in the Canucks. <laughs> oh, good. Um, Fill the vacuum with Canucks, and we'll just talk uh, tragically hip and Brian Adams all day. So let's talk about episode 62. It's going to be terrific and fantastic because I have nothing to do with it. Um, episode 62, I am reuniting the two gentlemen who did an episode for me, I think it was last year, was it? Show regular Eric Reanimator and, uh, and Ghetto Tim, who did yeah. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Punk. I asked them if they'd mind uh, doing another show, just the two of them together, their choice of albums, their choice of topic. And they've both said, yep, we can do that. I said, as long as you get it to me by the middle of June all edited and ready to put up, then um, go for it. So um, I've no idea yet what they're going to cover. They haven't told me, but no doubt it will be something absolutely fascinating because anything that they talk about is fascinating. Oh, two men who can hold court. That's oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And now I've I'm, had the I'm, pleasure I'm, of hanging out with Ghetto Tim, and uh, he's, a, he's a fun guy. I, I'm trying to convince him to come to Australia. I mean, I say, you know, come on, man, you're living in, in the neighborhood virtually, and... And uh, I'm, I'm still working on it. I'm hoping it's going to happen sooner rather than later. But uh, we, we speak on Skype about two or three times a week. So um, it's almost like he's in the same room as me. So um, yeah. all, that, all that's missing is the beer. You know, I, 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 want to, I want to be able to clink the beer cans, you know. But, yeah, I've done it. <laughs> oh, you lucky bastard. I'm waiting for him to come back for another visit so we can get together. Yeah. You can have another barbecue. Uh, well, you'll, you'll, um, you'll have to have a Skype party when all you, when all you Canucks are together and I'll be I'll have to be virtually there, but yes, the two gentlemen who know how to hold court, uh, Eric and Tim, will be hosting episode sixty-two. As I said at this point in time, I don't know what they're going to cover, but um, it will be something fascinating. If you've heard them before, and you surely have, you uh, you know that they'll be doing something absolutely fascinating. Uh, and I guess while I'm here, I should put in a quick plug for. My other podcast, The C Here, that's S-E-E-H-E-A-R, where I'm joined by uh, Ghetto Tim, the wonderful Wendy Freeman, and Bernard Stickwell Esquire. And we discuss uh, music-related films. Not necessarily musicals, but films that have music as part of the subject matter of the story. You know, Uh, I want on there if you ever do one. Once. Oh, man. Uh, I'd, actually, that's that's a that's a terrific. I'm so looking forward to the end of the year. The live production of Once is going to be um, uh, performed here in Melbourne. I bought my tickets months ago, and I cannot wait to see it. My only my only slight worry is thinking the guy who they're going to have it's not going to be Glenn Hansard. Yeah, yeah. How is he going to live up? Yeah, but you know, hell, I, I I'm prepared to take that chance. And, uh, a very good friend of mine from here was traveling in London a few months ago and he saw the uh, the West End production and he came back and he's a this is the guy who put me onto uh, onto the frames in the first place so I thought like he'd have the hardest opinion on you know whether it was any good and he came back and said it was just fucking incredible so um, I'm, I'm I would say the Melbourne it. production will be great yeah <laughs> all right so um, so anyway we're um, uh, I think we're um, we've covered it all uh, thank you for listening um, to us uh, talk Richard Thompson and the million and one rabbit holes and diversions. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, anyway, so uh, we'll be, uh, well, we'll get Tim and 
Eric will be back next month, and I'll be back the month after that, episode 63. All right, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. And uh, thank you, John, once again for being a part of it and um, continued success to Feed My Ears. And actually, if you, uh, as well as the, uh, the podcast, join the uh, Feed My Ears Facebook page and start a music discussion there as well. I think that's covered it all, hasn't it? That's about it. All righty. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.